today we are talking about triggers. Do you know what your triggers are? What does it mean? What are they? Well, what if I told you that we are thinking about this in the wrong way? What if I told you that there's a much easier way to think about what your triggers are, to go about figuring out what your triggers are so you know what you can avoid until you feel strong enough to get through something? Let's talk about it. Welcome and welcome back to the Hope Chase podcast. I am Angie and I am your host. Thank you so very much for listening. This is episode 45. So grab a coffee, a tea, a snack, and turn your volume up because in this week's episode, we're talking about triggers. Do you know what your triggers are? What are they? What are mine? I have no fucking idea. (laughs) My feeds on social media are flooded with holiday content and recovery holiday content, how to get through the holidays, how to get through being triggered, how to avoid relapse. But I truly, truly think that we are talking about this and have been talking about triggers in the wrong way. Well, not right, wrong. There is no right or wrong, but I think there is a much easier way to figure this out because I think the way we typically talk about it tends to be incredibly fucking confusing. I'm going to explain all of that. And also, tis the season for dry January. (laughs) And I'm going to sprinkle into the conversation a little talk about non-alcoholic beverages and why I think it's a fucking scam. And I genuinely want someone to make it make sense. I'm going to talk about all of it. If this is the first episode of the Hope Chase podcast you are listening to, hello and welcome. Who the hell am I? I am Angie, and I was a dope fiend for 20 years of my life. Age 23 to 40, I used heroin on a daily basis. And in November 2019, I put it down for the last time. January 2023, this podcast was born. I've done a hell of a lot of healing and work on myself in this recovery journey of mine, which is a far cry from the jails, institutions, hospitals, police stations, programs, and detoxes I used to frequent. (laughs) So every Tuesday, a new episode is dropped, and we talk all about addiction and recovery and healing. So thank you so much for joining the Hope Chase today. Of course, just as I start recording this episode, someone starts banging (laughs) construction outside. So please, I'm so sorry. I know you can hear this in the background and there's really nothing I can do about it. So I apologize. Let's talk triggers. What are your triggers? Do you know what they are? Quite frankly, I hated this word and this topic. I am not a fan. (laughs) Really. I remember when I was a therapist working as a therapist and so much conversation around this because I was also working in a halfway house and in the addiction field. There's so much conversation around triggers. I think too much conversation, too much emphasis on triggers. But then I also realized that we're kind of thinking about the whole thing in the wrong way. Well, not wrong way, quote unquote, but I think there's a different, much easier way to go about finding what your triggers are. Because let's be honest, it can be very fucking confusing. Honestly, if someone asked me what my triggers are, I honestly, I don't 
really think I'd be able to answer that question. <laughs> According to Google, a trigger is defined as a stimulus that elicits a reaction, meaning a person, place, or thing, right? We're talking about a thing, like a 3D thing is a trigger, which right there, I think, is not the easiest way. I'm not going to say right or wrong. I'm going to try not to say right or wrong, but not the easiest way to think about triggers. Let me explain. Much, if not all, of this conversation centers around people, places, or things, right? Usually, when we are asked what our triggers are, or when this topic comes up in conversation, it's around things, right? I think the easiest way to think about triggers is to go by how we're feeling, I think triggers are more so to do with feelings and not things. Don't get me wrong. There are certain things. There's a ton of things that can be considered your triggers, right? There could be certain people, your uncle that gets on your nerves all the time. But instead, I think it's easier. What is the feeling that you get from that quote unquote trigger? I think that the trigger is actually the feeling that we get because it's that feeling that makes us want to use. Are you following me here? <laughs> Whatever elicits that feeling inside of you is going to be a trigger for you. It doesn't really matter where that feeling is coming from. It could be the crazy uncle. It could be your boss at work. It could be whoever the hell or whatever or place or thing in your life that promotes an uneasy feeling. But the bottom line is to avoid that feeling, right? The bottom line is that you are wanting to use due to the fact that you are feeling a certain way. So it doesn't matter the people, the places, and the things. What matters is that you avoid that feeling until, of course, you feel strong enough to handle it and get through it on your own. But especially in early recovery, they say you should know what your triggers are so that you can avoid them, so that you can you know, have the best chance possible of succeeding in recovery, which of course I agree with. But I think instead it's so much easier to think about what makes you feel that way. What elicits the frustration, the feeling of being annoyed? What makes you want to use? For me, it was always that feeling of being so incredibly overwhelmed that I just wanted to throw my hands up and say, fuck it. And that's typically when I would just make a beeline to call my dealer. If I was in a program or if I was in a detox and I just felt like such shit, I would just get so overwhelmed. Like, oh my God, I'm going to feel like this forever. Oh my God, I can't really do this. Throw my hands up, leave the detox, right? I also think it's important to recognize that when it comes to triggers, a lot of it has to do with the outside world and how it affects us, but most of it has to do with our inside world. Like for me, it was always the doubting myself, not thinking that I could do it just period, right? 
the self-doubt. And then there was also the comparisons too. I would compare myself to other people or look at another person's life and think, oh, I could never have that. Thinking that it wasn't possible for me. Doubting that I could ever do it to begin with. Of course, there are triggers that are things. There are things outside of us that can be triggers. I'm not saying that's not a thing. But what I am saying is that it's so much easier to go by our feelings to figure out what our triggers are. And they don't have to be the same as what I've talked about here, the overwhelmment or the self-doubt. It could very well be the feeling of boredom. That's a big one a lot for an early recovery. So maybe you probably want to avoid things that will elicit a feeling of boredom, being by yourself, for example. What happens a lot of times, too, is that once we get over that hump of figuring out what our triggers are, and mind you, like I said, if you were to ask me that question, I don't know if I could answer you because this topic is just so confusing. There isn't things outside of me that make me want to use. There's nothing outside of you that can make you use. That's just impossible. What it does is it elicits that feeling. So it just makes sense to put more emphasis on talking about the feelings as triggers and not the things. But what happens is once we get over that hump of getting used to not using and getting kind of in the groove and the flow of being in recovery and living and life is good and those triggers, those feelings, they'll probably still stick around in your brain and you'll see it affecting other areas of your life. Maybe not so much using anymore. For me, as an example, with just staying productive and staying in a positive mindset, things like self-doubt creep in. And if I'm not careful, it can spiral into this rabbit hole of me getting down on myself and thinking that what's the use of doing any of this because none of it's going to work out anyways and and I can never be successful. I could never change my life completely. I can never make a million dollars. Just as an example, these triggers, they do stick around and can affect us in other areas of life. It's not just the addiction. It's about your mindset and your mind and your feelings. And those are the things that need to be worked on and identified even more so than the typical quote-unquote triggers that we always hear about. January is coming up and a lot of people do dry January. I have never heard of it before recently. (laughs) I didn't really know it was a thing, but I guess it's a thing. I understand it's a thing. I've talked about it briefly in a past episode a while back, but it goes in step with the new year. The new year in and of itself can be quite triggering for a lot of people because new year is always people talking about new year, new me and making resolutions and all these things. But what if you're in the same spot? You know, what if nothing's changed? What if you want to change, but you don't have that much confidence in yourself? And what if dry January just feels too overwhelming to take on. Dry January is an interesting concept, in my opinion. And I'd be interested in knowing how many people do dry January who identify as having some sort of drinking problem. How many people do the dry January thing and think they're just normal, quote unquote, normal people? 
Because in my opinion, if you're participating in any sort of dry anything, then you probably have some sort of drinking problem. Don't get me wrong. There's people who are cutting booze out for their health or for, you know, diet reasons, et cetera, et cetera. But in my opinion, if you're trying, if having to cut booze out takes effort, then you probably have some sort of problem. Because usually, quote unquote, normal people, people who don't have a problem with using any substances, don't have to try not to use the substances. (laughs) If you have a problem with drinking or using any kind of substance, it makes sense that you would have to try not to use it. You'd have to put some effort into not using it, right? So if you're putting in any sort of effort into not drinking, or not drugging in any way, what that says to me is that there's probably a problem around the using of the substance. And then there's the topic of non-alcoholic beverages. I posted something on my Instagram stories over this past week about how that whole thing is just confusing to me. It doesn't make sense to me, non-alcoholic beverages. Here you have a whole community of alcoholics. And non-alcoholic beverages isn't just for alcoholics, right? I mean, you can have a completely normal relationship with booze and drink non-alcoholic beverages. Let's be clear. But for the people who do identify as having drinking problem, when you're drinking a non-alcoholic beverage... I'm asking you why. What is really the reason behind that? Because to me, this is what it looks like. It looks like somebody who is sober or in recovery, trying not to drink, and they're taking a beverage and dressing it up to make it look like an alcoholic beverage. Put in a fancy glass, put some fruit in it, put in a wine glass, make it look like an alcoholic beverage. So we are essentially pretending to drink alcohol, but why? Why? It doesn't taste like alcohol, so it's not really something about the taste, right? I mean, a mocktail doesn't really taste like alcohol. You can't make a mocktail taste like a regular cocktail unless that cocktail is incredibly weak, right? So I'm genuinely wondering why. Because wouldn't it be the same thing if I took a generic powder that didn't have any drugs in it and put in a needle and shot it? Or I took a generic powder that had the drugs removed, let's say it was heroin-free, cocaine-free, whatever free, and I sniffed it. Wouldn't that be the same thing? I don't understand how that would be different. And the way they market these non-alcoholic beverages, I see on social media all the time where they're associating not drinking or being sober or being in recovery, you get those dreaded questions like, oh, do you want a beer? Do you want a drink? Or how come you're not drinking? And out of some sort of fear or shame or guilt or something where you don't feel comfortable being honest or saying that you're sober, 
a mocktail or a non-alcoholic beverage is the answer to that. That's how it's kind of portrayed. That's how it's kind of sold to us, these non-alcoholic beverages. So then that leads me to think the entire reason behind drinking a non-alcoholic beverage or dressing it up to make it look like alcohol is for the sheer purpose of putting on a show, quote unquote, a show for other people. It's for the, for the sheer purpose of making it look like you're drinking alcohol so that people think that you're drinking alcohol so that maybe people assume that you're not sober or in recovery and assume that you're drinking like everybody else. I don't know, but please make it make sense. (laughs) So essentially the whole premise of drinking a non-alcoholic beverage is to make other people think something or to influence how other people view you because it looks like you're drinking like everybody else. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not the only message that comes across, but that's definitely one of the messages that I have heard loud and clear when it comes to non-alcoholic beverages. And I just don't see how that is not insanely triggering to people who drink booze or who are trying not to drink booze. Why would a non-alcoholic beverage be any kind of answer to that? And then there are people who, let's say, drink a non-alcoholic beverage by themselves at home. But um, what is what really is the motivation behind doing that? This is the question. What really is the motivation behind drinking a non-alcoholic beverage, if not to look like you're drinking an alcoholic beverage? I get it. Maybe some people feel uncomfortable in certain social gatherings. Maybe it would make them feel better to have a glass or drink water or seltzer water out of a glass or out of a wine glass. I understand that. But the whole thing around going out of your way to actually make, purchase, or drink specifically non-alcoholic beverages while you're in recovery, trying to stay sober or whatever, is just something I truly, truly just don't understand. I mean, do you miss it that much? Do you miss drinking that much where you have to pretend and put it in a fancy glass or drink it out of a beer can or drink fake wine? Do you miss drinking that much where you are drinking non-alcoholic beverages. It just doesn't make sense to me. Because in my opinion, the whole purpose of getting clean, getting sober, and living in recovery is to become incredibly comfortable in your own skin, being yourself unapologetically, right? Drinking a non-alcoholic beverage, what does that do for you? If you are living your life 100% being yourself, not feeling like you have to apologize or feel guilty or shameful or anything about any of the decisions that you're making in your life. That's the goal, right? So wouldn't drinking a non-alcoholic beverage kind of derail that in some sort of way? It just, to me, doesn't align with what living in recovery stands for. 
I don't know, man. Just my opinion. Please do not come for me. (laughs) So that's it. That's all I have to say about this for today. Please do not come for me. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Please follow along from whatever podcast platform you are listening from. Click that little follow so that you never miss a new episode when they drop every Tuesday morning. And don't forget to follow along on all the social medias at the Hope Chase Pod on all the things. I'm mostly active on the Instagrams, but also on the TikToks, the Facebooks, and all the other things. I'm over on YouTube as well at the Hope Chase is the username on the YouTubes. And I do have a Linktree page profile thing that has all of my links, all of my platforms, a couple of really cool meditation, healing, and music frequency playlists, and also a link to donate as well. Username is The Hope Chase, or you can send straight from the Cash App username The Hope Chase on the Cash App. Thank you so much in advance to anyone and everyone who feels called to send a little help this way because your girl is struggling. And we are hoping to expand our little operation over here. So thank you so much for the help. Don't forget that you can always message me via Instagram with any topic suggestions or just for the hell of it, just to say hi, send me a message. (laughs) So that's it. Thank you once again for joining the Hope Chase today. This is the Hope Chase podcast. I am Angie and welcome to the shit show. See you next time.